the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 87. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. I'm okay. I am kind of middle of the road, I would call it, which is all right. Yeah, the last time we did a little intro, I know we were both kind of getting ready for the holidays and feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we pre-recorded, um, you know, an intro for the Monday after Thanksgiving. But a lot has happened to you and I in between recording those and now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought I really had the holidays handled. And I know I think we're going to talk about this in an episode next week. We decided to do a little impromptu episode to talk about um, relapse. And not that we've relapsed. We have not. Just be clear. We've not relapsed on alcohol. But, you know, you wrote a newsletter um, and a blog post about um, kind of like an emotional relapse, right? Yeah, you know, you always hear that um, a relapse sort of starts long before you take the take the drink, right? And I've always kind of thought, I've always kind of scoffed at that and thought, how could you not know you were about to relapse? Um, but I get it. I get, totally get it now. Yeah, it's uh, behavior, I think you right? can. Yeah, well, and you can can just totally get blindsided by something because that's life. And, you know, there's things that we aren't prepared for always at any given moment, things are going to happen that we aren't going to be prepared for. And, um, those are the things I think that can knock us down. Well, it was interesting because you and I had a conscious conversation saying, should we do an episode about the holidays? And, we were both like, we're so good right now. And it would, you know, we even said that, I think, in the intro last week, like we are the week before, like, you know, what are we going to talk about? Mm-hmm. You know, and who's going to want to hear us talk about you know, how great it is or um, or even I think the direction was, you know, if we we're in a bad state, you know, would that be depressing maybe to people going they have this much sobriety and they're still hanging on? Right. Like, I didn't <laughs> fabricate a struggle or, a, a, you know, yeah. a scenario or situation. I mean, there's plenty, you know, but right. I, I didn't I didn't feel the need to fabricate something. And so that was coming from a, a true place. Yeah. And then I know um, we didn't communicate much because you were on vacation and kind of out of range. Um but I had some things going on here that threw me into a panic attack on the, you know, the, uh, what is it? The biggest drinking holiday of the year, which is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I would love to elaborate that on maybe the episode. Cause there was definitely markers that day of things that were happening and how I was t- choosing to numb out, which was not alcohol, but I would love to kind of 
dissect that a little bit. And then you had some really big life events happen to you unexpectedly. Um, right. My, fa- mm-hmm. My father-in-law passed away and, um, you know, his health had not been good, but it was still unexpected. Mm. And, uh, so yeah, um, that really, I mean, obviously death throws a wrench in everything, especially, well, expected or, or unexpected. Um, but it wasn't just that, you know, it was just a little bit of everything, you know, it was the stress leading up to, I had some very stressful weeks leading up to Thanksgiving and, um, they, you know, they were things that didn't make me feel like I wanted to drink necessarily at all. And that's why I've, you know, still felt confident, but it was just, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. Right. And it just starts accumulating. And that's something to talk about because, um, I did some behaviors that, yeah, I'm not super proud of. So (laughs) I'll out myself when we record that episode. Um, so yeah, so I just want our listeners to know it's not always roses and sunshine for us. Um, and we do try to stay positive and stay in the solution. And I think that's really what the show is going to be about too, because we did. We right. Did, we did we resort did. to drinking. However, um, maybe you're feeling this way too. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. I know um, a couple gals that we know <clears throat> have gone out recently and um, that always hits me too, you know, when you have friends um, that are struggling. Right. And, uh, and what to do about that. And I don't even know that I have an answer for any of that, but I'd like to talk about it and have a conversation. Well, and we, we don't have an answer, but we have our answers, right? That's, that's the best we can do. Yeah. Tell you what we did and maybe that'll help. You know, that's all we, that's all we can do really is share that message. So that's something fun to look forward to next fun, week. Fun. <laughs> it's kind of unexpected in our little production schedule, but we felt like it was timely and it was honest and it was true about what's happening with us. So um, a lot can change in a week, but I, I feel like we're we're ready to talk about this. And so if anybody is listening and wants to um, add to the conversation or put something on our Unruffled secret Facebook page or send us a direct message with questions or a story you'd like to share or, um, you know, always we take those. So just um, you guys can do that there. And if if you're not a member of that group, you can send us a Facebook um, friend request. And you'll also need to send us a direct message saying, please add me to the secret Facebook group for the podcast. And we will do that. Yeah. I found a lot of solace there this weekend. Yeah, I love our group. I'm yeah. going to say it. I, I was going to say it to you before we started recording, but I'll say it. I, re- I would rather just say it right here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I love our secret Facebook group. Yeah. I love there's just so much meaningful, very meaningful conversation there. And I'm not just saying that because it's our group. I really think there is. So I agree. I totally agree. And I leaned on it a lot. I was there a lot this weekend. I posted a lot this weekend. And that is a little bit of what I was going to talk about, about how I use that as a tool. Um, So please, if, um, again, we're sharing art projects sometimes, we're sharing articles and fun things, um, but we're there to help support one another too, if you're struggling. And, um, 
and maybe you can't see the solution. Maybe somebody's going to say something or give a little bit, bit of advice or a link to something that's going to help um, just shift things for you so that you can pivot. Um, we're not an advice column type place, you know, but I mean, but, but, but people share their stories and that's, that's what I get from it. And it really helps. Right. Them. And the beauty of it is, you know, it's not, it's not to replace your in real life meetings or connections or whatever you do to get through sobriety, but it's in your pocket, you know, it's in your purse. It's so accessible when you need something in the moment. Yeah. A really big tool for my recovery. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to just chat about that briefly because that's been kind of weighing and I know you and I, you and I have been discussing that. So um, let's see. Yeah. Um, our, our guest today, I'm not going to jump into the bio just yet, but our guest today um, is, uh, is Adriana Marchione. But what she mentions in the podcast that I wanted to share with you, Sandra, is that she worked at the California Institute for Integral Studies. So it's CIIS. Mm-hmm. And I am going to an event there um, Saturday night with Natalie and Sasha Corellis and another listener of the Unruffled podcast. I don't know if she wants to be outed or not, so I'm not going to out her, but she's going to go have some fun with us. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and we're going to go see Lisa Congdon, my one of my favorite artists, um, interview Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, cool. So that sounds there. awesome. Yeah. And um, that's a series that they put on. And I, the last time I went, I went with Casey and um, we saw Cheryl Strayed. Um, get interviewed there. So I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to going out with some sober ladies and, um, I get to miss my husband's Christmas party. Not real oh. sad about that. I don't think he is either. He's not. Okay. Right. Not real sad. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. And I thought it was when she said that she worked there, I thought, Oh yeah, that's where I'm going. That's, that's the Institute that she's talking about. So. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Um, before we do our bio though, do you have anything you want to share, promote before we get down to the business? Uh, sure. I, I'm having a holiday sale. I said it was going to go on until December 1st, but I probably will just leave it up. Um, if, I'm adding things to my marketplace, but there's things in the marketplace currently. And if you enter the word unruffled, it's a discount code in checkout, in the checkout process, it prompts you. Um, You can get 20% off of anything in my marketplace. I think it applies to everything in there, even my ebook. So that's it. Oh, good. Uh, I, it's funny since I've been off, social media to a degree off my phone this month. I don't have the apps on my phone. Um, I didn't promote my gratitude book in the month of November, which you would think would make a lot of sense to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I just didn't feel it. I feel like, um, I don't know, I just couldn't be on my phone that much. I couldn't be trying to sell something that much. I don't know. I'm trying to create some other things right now. So of course it's for sale and I appreciate if people buy it. It's on my website. Um, but what I figured out was that, um, I communicated a lot through my newsletter because I wasn't on social media and shared some things. I shared your unruffled code on my last newsletter. Thank you. Shared a couple other ladies that I love. Natalie, who's been on the show, um, shared her website, Natalie Fairbrook. And, um, I'm just trying to build my newsletter list so that I can communicate and know who my people are. And that's kind of like what we said about this secret Facebook group. The newsletter is doing that too. It's like a dialogue. I've been getting nice emails back from people. We've been communicating. It's a different way to interact with people other than on my phone. 
And um, I've been finding it very gratifying. So if anybody wants to sign up for my newsletter, you can do that um, at TammySalas.com. And one last little plug for the show. If you guys could pop over and give us a rating or a review, we'd really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we have, we've had so many new Patreon members this month. I want to say thank you to all of the Patreon members who have supported us and to our newest members. And we are working, I know we keep saying this, we are working on something for 2019 to kind of, you know, zhush up that space a little bit and give you a little perk um, and say thank you for your support. So you right. can find that at patreon.com backslash uh, the unruffled podcast. And, um, oh, there was something else I was going to say about that. Yeah. Like for a cup mm-hmm. of coffee, if you can support us for, or we say a dollar an episode or five bucks a month, you know, whatever you can do, it adds up and it's greatly appreciated. Um, we spend a lot of time on this show and so that's my plug. Thanks. Yes. Um, so let's kick it off. You want to introduce, um, Adriana Marcioni or, or Marcione? I, I got to say Marcione. Right. <laughs> um, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, today on the podcast, we have Adriana Marcione. She has a lot of letters behind her name, and I'm I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> You'll see them in the show notes. <laughs> You'll see them in the show notes. Um, but she has she's she's very she's very lettered and qualified. Just trust me. Um, but she has been involved in the arts for over 25 years as a filmmaker, exhibiting visual artist, Argentine tango dancer, arts curator, and creative therapist. For over a decade, she has been a leader in her work as expressive arts therapist and educator specializing in addiction, trauma, and grief. Adriana teaches around the world and at the internationally renowned uh, Tamalpa Institute, I hope I said that right, a movement and art therapy education center. Marcion created When the Fall Comes, which is a film that we talk about in the podcast in 2013, a performance project that culminated in a film based on her life story encountering intimate grief and loss. Yeah, and it's important to note that Adriana has been in recovery from alcoholism for 25 years. So cool. Um, She was awarded Artist of the Year by In Recovery Magazine in 2016. She is currently directing The Creative High, a film about artists who have faced addiction and the natural high of art making which I totally get. Um, You can find out more about Marcion's work at adrianamarchion.com and um, on her website thecreativehigh.com you'll find links to her other film um, and you'll just anything uh, her fundraising campaign as well they're doing a big push this month to support the post-production of the film The Creative High and we talk about that in the show and how you can support it and that's all there on her website on um, thecreativehigh.com as well uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. I, I think thought it was so. a great, you, great interview. We we so, had a little bit of sound problems. Yeah, in the beginning, but we're going to try to fix those up. Yeah. Um, but you guys are really going to love Adriana. I'm positive of that. Yeah. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Adriana. Thank you, Tammy. It's great Good morning, to be guys. here. Good morning. Hey, Sandra. Is it raining where you are, Sandra? Because it's raining where we are. 
It is not. It has gotten, we experienced sort of an early winter and now it feels like Texas again. It's humid and and sticky and kind of warm outside this morning. I like how we did the weather report. So late is- November morning. <laughs> I like the weather report. Sorry, Adriana. It's what we do. It's how we get started. <laughs> well, it's funny because my grandfather who passed away a couple of years ago at 101. Oh my. He, that was how every, he was from Wisconsin and that was how every conversation started was the weather. So <laughs> yeah. my family does that a little bit, you Great. know, how's the weather? Yeah. You feel at home then. That's good. I'm glad we're, we're starting up. I have thunder and lightning up here. So if the power goes out, you know, we're just going to see what happens, but let's just, I'm crossing my fingers that it's not. Um, my town's a little hokey, the PG&E, you know, it's a small small town and rural and um and that happens so just a warning for, for that happens we'll, we'll we'll figure it out but Crossing Adriana I wanted to um I met you earlier this year at the sacred pause Saturday that she recovers put on and we only met briefly that was in San Francisco mm-hmm. we only met yeah. briefly and I think Sandra was introduced to your work from Dawn from she recovers as well right Sandra yeah, yeah. I think that um, she, uh, Don tried to hook me up via email with either you, Adriana, or Shelly. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. honestly remember who. Maybe it was Shelly, but still, it was in reference to the film that you're working on. And she was like, "Oh, you two should, you guys should meet." And so, <laughs> yeah. So we're doing so it. Here we are. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, maybe we'll just jump in and start how we normally start this show is just asking um, our guests, you know, kind of what, how they came to the decision to quit drinking. And then we'll jump off from there into you have many creative projects and you're a very creative person. So we can segue into that afterwards. But could you tell us a little bit of your story and let our listeners get to know you? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. The story is Oh, something that I've told again and again, you know, it's a, it's one of those things in recovery to me that the, the story is really important. And um, every time I tell it, it's a little different. So we'll see what comes out today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I got sober young, you know, and, and for me just to make it essential, I often say that to my students is like, tell me the essence of, of the story or in a dance or in an image and how do we really get that emotion and heart of, of what happened through. And, um, you know, I, I was a very anxious young person, you know, um, just very, I felt things very deeply and it was hard for me to filter things out. And so, my drinking, I think, was really fueled by a sense of dampening that, you know, numbing some of that out and feeling almost like more normal, you know, able to negotiate, able to function in the world with with a more relaxed way of being. And so when I drank, uh, it it emboldened me in different ways. I mean, it, both of it made me feel made me mellow. It helped me sometimes feel like I was in the flow of things, but it also gave me energy. It made me feel more courageous. It helped me connect with people. And I, I liked both of those things. Uh, so 
I started drinking, I think about 17. And it was partly, I mean, even just my, the beginning of my drinking was like being with a couple of friends, a couple of girlfriends and uh, experimenting, you know, just experimenting. And then our first night drinking, like we lied to our boyfriends and the friends we were hanging out with and saying we weren't, we weren't drunk. And, um, and, and we just did all these stupid things and we almost, I almost wrecked my friend's car. And, you know, so all these things started happening right away, but I was also very secretive about my drinking. So it, it was, it was this double thing of, I was feeling really chaotic and confused inside. And I was all of a sudden doing these things out in the world, uh, being more risk-taking and putting myself in danger in different ways. And, uh, but also having a heck of a lot of fun, but, uh, it was also very secret. And I, I was, I felt like, oh, well, I shouldn't really be doing this, but I'm also rebelling against like, my Catholic upbringing and all these ways that I had felt repressed or suppressed or had to stay in a box. And so drinking helped me get out of that box. And so I drank for about seven years. And when I finally hit bottom and got to this place where I really couldn't, I really wasn't doing well. I mean, there was just all these ways my life had fallen apart at the age of 24. And I really uh, began struggling, you know, struggling in a big way. I mean, it, it just things really hit the wall in San Francisco for me. And I, I was working at this graphic design company and showing up not in a great place every morning, often hungover. And I got fired from that job uh, because of my drinking. And then I was assaulted. So really one of the big things that happened to me around my bottom was uh, it was the Rodney King riots that were happening down in Los Angeles and it filtered up to San Francisco. Uh, and so there was a lot of activity happening that particular night of the riots and there was curfew. So no one was supposed to be out. And I had been at a friend's house and I had been drinking and I had my bike. So that's how I got around. And so I, I was a little tipsy and I rode home on my bike and right when I was trying to get in my door, to and I lived in the Mission District, which is a lot of where it's kind of the, the a lot of the heat was happening around the riots. Uh, these two guys pulled me from behind and and basically kind of beat me up and and stole my bike. And it was a very very scary experience. And because I didn't have all my faculties with me, you know, I was more vulnerable. And so because of that, it really put me into this place where I had a lot of uh, post traumatic stress and. And so people around me, you know, were watching me like continue to drink and that, and, and it wasn't helping. It was just making it worse. And so I ended up going to therapy and that is where I, I started to have some more clarity about my drinking because she saw, you know, she saw all the external things that were happening, like fired from my job. I didn't have any money. I was you know, having these really negative relationships with men and just uh, a lot of a lot of stress. But the insides, you know, it, it was like she just kept put it, putting me back to, okay, well, what about your drinking? What about what's going on outside of all those external things? And, and that that started to open up my my eyes and to this idea that maybe I had a problem with drinking. That was really, um, 
kind of the beginning, I think, of 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 the the new life that that I have today. So I went to college in the middle of Ohio, in the farmlands, in a place called the College of Worcester, and I went to. Uh, I, I focused on art. It wasn't an art school, but I focused and majored in art. And that was really tied into my identity as somebody who drank and smoked cigarettes. I wasn't a big smoker, but it was really, I would, I would drink and I'd have to smoke in addition to drinking. It was just this thing that, that had to come with it. And it was this feeling of, again, back to kind of, well, you know, I'm cool and I'm an and I have to be a little bit destructive and I suffer in all these different ways and I'm depressed. And so I would drink to um, enhance that feeling. And sometimes I would make art from that. And so it, would, it was almost like what, what's, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, sometimes I was feeling really depressed or I was in angst about something and then I would have to drink to, to numb some of those feelings and then sometimes I would drink and then I would go into a depressed state because of the drinking and it would amplify some of those feelings. So it would just kind of go back and forth. And, and also it was social too. And so drinking really enhanced that feeling of just being out there and, and hanging out with my creative friends and again, you know, being hip in these different ways. And so what, happened you know as my in my creative life is when at a young age right again in my early 20s when I came into recovery I felt really lost as an artist because there was this whole identity around drinking and and also the people I hung out with and I, I had moved to San Francisco a year before I ended up uh, stopping drinking and, and finding recovery. It was about a year, year and a half before. And I lived in, again, the Mission District, which at the time there was a fair, you know, there was a fair amount of creative people. There still are. It's changed now with the whole tech world and, and, and how San Francisco has changed in terms of money and so many things. But, um, but it was just really creative. And so poets and visual artists and, musicians and I helped open this bar called the Latin American Club that was right near um for Bay Area people San Francisco people it was right um 22nd and Valencia which is a real hot spot and we opened this bar and I was the art curator of the bar so I would bring artists in and it was this whole identity again of yeah I'm the art curator at this cool hip new bar and uh, so when I got sober, it was it was uh, one of those things like people told me in my recovery circles, you know, they said, well, you probably shouldn't be art curating at that bar anymore. It's probably not a good idea. And, <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was it was what I did. So it, it took a while to transition out of some of those those communities, those groups of people, because it just I couldn't do that and stay safe. How, uh, how, how much sobriety did you have at that point? Oh, it was three months or something. Okay, so yeah. right in the beginning. Yeah. Because right you still beginning. think you can belong to all of those communities, right? And it's not that you can't, but 
it's what's healthy for you, right? Or what, or what each person can handle. And that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, right. I, I could see it being a possibility if you were really surrounded by other people, you know, if you could make like a, a pack in that sort of environment where you had support of, of other sober peers, but yeah, going at it alone, too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. And, but the people that I was connecting with, I don't know if you guys had, had this experience, but the people I was connecting with at the beginning in my recovery were, they weren't, creative people. I mean, it was, it was a very different group of people. And I started dressing differently. I started being just more practical, more plain. And I, I needed to do that just to strip away some of that ego or some of that confusion I had about who I was. It was almost like I had to go the other direction. And so my drinking friends or my people that I used to hang out with were like, what? You're so boring now. What are you doing? (laughs) Who are you? And it was this rift that kept growing uh, for several years. Because you're kind of just trying to hang on for dear life at that point is kind of how I felt. Yeah. But you're right. It was different. I couldn't find my people until I really found Sandra um, Mm -hmm. and heard her story. Um, I was like, "Uh, yeah, okay, that's who I want to be friends with. (laughs) But it it takes a little while. And like you said, it is kind of stripping the ego. And it is... um, it was just getting back to myself, right? You're, you're just yeah. trying to return to yourself. And you're not sure what that is since you've been drinking for a little bit. And, you know, your whole life revolves around it. Yeah. So, near the end, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and it really was survival. I mean, it, it was, it felt so good to be in a place where people were talking honestly and I could... I could be cared for and, and supported. And uh, there was just this, such a deep relief for me. And, and of course, I mean, you know, many different iterations of depression came back and, you know, all these different things happened in the course of, I've been, I've been in recovery for 25 years. So all things happened at the beginning to challenge me. uh, But there was also a ground all of a sudden that I had that I didn't have before. And yeah, so I actually started creating very privately is what happened at first. Cause I was very public with my art. I would exhibit and I was a photographer and I would, um, I would exhibit at different like, galleries and I was always pushing my art and trying to connect with people and going to art shows. And so it, it was very private at the beginning and that, like the beginning of the way back, was to do it in a more intimate way that I didn't share with anybody. I was doing these little collages and, uh, right, it was like visual journaling, right, which I'm sure many of you know about mm-hmm. in the audience, oh, so that, yeah. you know, your listeners and you guys, you know, so very private. Mm-hmm. And you can, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what art is for, though. You know, uh, when you use it to as therapy versus using it for some kind of validation and they, and it can be both, you know, but but you get to decide how you want to use it. Yeah. And it's it's available. Yeah. And I mean, the thing, though, that 
I think happened for me in that, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sandra, is that it was very private and it became therapeutic and I realized how healing art was for me and I had this whole different spiritual mindset about it because I was atheist, even though I grew up Catholic, I became very atheist when I was drinking. Uh, And then I, I went into the field of art therapy Um, we call it expressive arts therapy. That's the title that I have and movement therapy. But it took many years for me to realize that I also wanted to come back to be an artist and be more public again and have it be um, seen and, and be connecting with people in that way again. But it took a really, it took quite a long time for me to get there, which I'm a little sad about uh, because I think both are really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been part of my journey too, is like having to just surrender and be like, I'm just going to do it for therapy now. Um, and I'm going to, and I'm going to drop the identity part. Cause I didn't know how to do that. It was, it was too confronting for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Did, did the, um, your journey to the expressive arts and to, and to have that, um, be where you went. How long was that journey? Was that kind of um, organic growing out of this time you were spending with yourself and doing the visual journaling and creating privately? How did that come to be? Yeah, it took about four years, which isn't, you know, isn't that long, which is great. I mean, it took about four years. What it was first just very private. And then I took a class that was a, it's called the life art process. And it was working through the body parts, which is um, actually kind of, which is part of the method that I use because I ended up training in that specific method. But it was just someone in San Francisco, this woman named Helene, Helene Bosters, and she, I saw a flyer. This is when flyers, you know, you see a flyer and you go to a workshop or a class somewhere right. rather than mm-hmm. you find it on, on Facebook, you know, <laughs> it's just like the old fashioned days back in the day. So I saw a flyer and I, I would appeal to me. It was called body stories and something to that effect. And so I went to this class, maybe I had a couple years at that time, maybe two, three years into my recovery. And it was this cool class. There was, I think eight women and we danced and we drew and we wrote poetry and we worked with our bodies. Like we went through different body parts and we expressed them in these in these ways through our art and, and it was this safe community to do that. And it was different than my, uh, my 12 step community, my recovery circles that I was a part of. It was this creative place. And so it just, it was so exciting. And then I realized there was a school that in, in Marin County here in California, um, an hour away that taught this, that taught this arts therapy. And the woman who co-founded the school was a dancer in her she was in her 70s at the time and she was just this very outspoken woman who just was doing seemed like amazing work and so I thought well maybe I don't know maybe I'll maybe I'll learn more about this art therapy thing and so I started going to school for that at four years in my recovery so they that was a really big deal because I had been doing like office jobs and secretary jobs and transcript medical transcription and just things to get by, you know, uh, for many years because I just I just had to 
get nose to the grindstone, you know, and building you, a new life. And you had a degree in art from uh, Worcester, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I you did. Got. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I had asking, a I'm asking because I'm in school and I've been looking at expressive arts therapy. So I'm very self-serving here that I'm asking you these uh, questions. <laughs> and you're saying it's in Marin. And I'm like, oh, that's not far from me. Um, so maybe we can <laughs> chat after the show. Yeah. <laughs> Is there some, but yeah, I, I'm happy along, along those lines, is there some kind of certification? I mean, what is the, what are the letters behind your name if you're certified as that? So, yeah. So what, well, first I went to a place again in Marina, it's called Tamalpa Institute. And it was just a, a training. It was like a training certificate program. And, and I, I've been teaching there actually now for, since 2003. Um, so I ended up getting involved as a teacher eventually, but it was, so it was a certification in expressive arts therapy through this training. And then I went and got my master's in psychology uh, up, up, it was called Sonoma State up north, which you might know, Sandra. Mm-hmm. And so I got my master's there and it was a specialization in, in arts in expressive arts and transform trans. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to forget the name of it, of my degree. Um, <laughs> Sorry. What <laughs> These things happen. We understand. Yeah, <laughs> come back to me. It's like my older, as I get older, my brain just drops certain things. Mm, um, yeah. But so I went to, so I got my master's and, and my master's thesis was using expressive arts therapy to support addiction and, and uh, support people with addiction and recovery. And so I knew right away that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go right into what was helping me and, and to helping others. And so my, I have a master's in psychology, MA, and then I'm a registered expressive arts therapist and a registered somatic movement therapist. And it's taken a while to gather those titles um, because you have to, for the expressive arts therapist, I had to do 2000 hours and, and, a lot of training and study and supervision and things like that. Yeah. So that's, those are my titles. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking into that. It looked like a lot of school, <laughs> a lot of hours. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I will chat with you another time about that. So, so you get all of your degree. So this is like a slow building, right? You're slowly slow doing this. And um, are you, are you doing any art publicly at that time? Are you using it? Are you staying in this field and helping others? Is that what your, what your purpose was at that time? Or were you making any art to put out into the world yourself? Well, I, what I, what I was doing at that time was really learning these tools. And so I was doing a lot of private art again, where I was I was doing drawings and learning about myself through the drawings and I would, I would do movement with the drawings. So I would find colors and shapes and, and different things, images and symbols in the drawing. And I would bring them into my body and movement and I would do again, poetry. And so I was doing all that very privately and, and self-exploration. Um, and then I started doing workshops, so I would be teaching others and just experimenting. Right away, I was like, I'm teaching this. And I just got right into it soon after I, I graduated and did workshops for people in recovery. So I would do these creative, like, eight weeks or one. I started doing retreats in the Santa Cruz Mountains uh, 
every year that was specifically a recovery and expressive arts retreat. So it was, it was very much about serving others and supporting others. Yeah. And, and then my private healing that I was doing along the way, um, I did start doing some performance. And so that also sparked me because I had always been visual and then I was learning how to dance and perform in and through storytelling. And so I started doing some of that through some classes. And so just little things where, where I, I began to be a more public, but it, it was mostly my, my career building that I was focusing on at the time, which was very, it was wonderful. You know, I felt like, a, again, it was like this new life in recovery. Then I embraced this new career, but it was also very stressful too. Like a lot of, I was going through a lot. I think it took many years. I feel, almost feel like the first 10 years, I was just, I was just working through it, just working through a lot of trauma, working through depression. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety still. Uh, I was building relationships. I had, I had gotten really involved with my, uh, with someone in recovery that I met and we started living together. That was both wonderful and very challenging because he had three kids and uh, I, it was just this whole life was happening. So I was just, I think I was flying by the seat of my pants on some level. Maybe I still am. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Well, what it sounds like too is, and the, and I think this is like this beautiful goal of mine and byproduct of recovery and, and working the twelve steps for me is that you have all this integration, right? Your life started integrating with your recovery and with your art, and that you just started moving forward. So it wasn't these two separate things, right? Yeah, they're very much um, enmeshed in a very good way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, I felt at the time that I was very, I I was, I don't know what to, how to even, there was a passion that, that was driving me and recovery was so integral to, to everything I was doing. It just, it gave me this foundation. So I had this foundation of people that supported me. I really have always created and, and, and emphasized like strong community for my recovery and having a team, like a village, I need a village supporting me. And I'm just somebody who reaches out a lot. I'm somebody that, that just doesn't hold back in terms of taking support in. And I think that has been really important because I see so many people struggle because they don't do that or they get isolated or they think they can do it by themselves. And I think I just recognized that I couldn't, I just needed to have a whole bunch of people around me. And, and so that, that really helped. And then I could, I could feel more, just again, I could bring that passion out into my work and, 
and really keep going for it and in different ways. And so I, I even I started working at this place called the California Integral of uh, California California Institute of Integral Studies. It's a long word. Uh, a a school here in San Francisco that that does all this interesting intersections between spirituality and art and psychology and uh, and all these different like philosophy. And so I started working there as a secretary. And within a couple years, while I was finishing my master's degree, I became the art curator of a program. And, and then I, I created this whole program where I was bringing artists in to show them and highlight them through these different perspectives of spirituality and um, and education and different different schools of thought and and so that was really part of also what started happening is I just was finding different ways to connect with artists in recovery and as I was building also my practice of working with people therapeutically through the arts um, and yeah it was it was just I think a lot was happening and then and then my relationship was continuing to to grow and um, with my husband and he was a music, he was a jazz musician, but he worked in sales because he couldn't make a living being a jazz musician. And he, we really had this pretty cool life together. And so what ended up, you know, happening was he, after being together, we got married and after being together for, I guess it was about, we had only gotten married, I think, two years prior that he got diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm. And that just turned everything around. You know, it was, was uh, all changed and new hurdle to, to you know, just a, a, a very big, it's like, okay, now, now how do I do all of this? And, and the other thing also is I started dancing Argentine tango. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I was learning more about dance through my, through the work that I had started and I really wanted to learn formal dance. And so my husband and I did that together. So we started learning tango together and, and it was this way to express myself differently again. Um, that was more public, but it was also, just, it was this fun community experience and, so anyhow, in the midst of all that, um, he got diagnosed, and then two years later, he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was another identity shift for me, and that was probably you know, as significant as coming into recovery was going through that loss. And then, and then a year later, my father, who I was very close with, he passed away very suddenly. Uh, from a heart condition and so it just the ground just no steady ground you know I had to leave my home and things with the my stepkids completely changed and and I had to reorient and look at my life differently and also look at my art differently it was a it was an awakening too in terms of what I was doing with my creative life so that was a big turning point. Yeah, that sounds yeah. huge, Adriana. Yeah, it's like I'm your kidding. whole world. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely would imagine that that is a likening to to the beginning of recovery, right? You're beginning the recovery of your grief and kind of mourning the loss of everything. 
Yeah. Did you start to feel like a sense of urgency? Um, I know that. Yeah. Definitely a sense of urgency. I mean, it was, it was, it was a precious, all of a sudden life became really precious. And there were a lot of moments of, oh my God, this could change in an instant. I, everything is so pure. And how do I want to live my life and connect today? Because, um, yeah, loss. I just never had, I had grandparents die. I mean, there was different things that happened, but it was so, it was like the day to day all of a sudden was completely altered. And so it was very precious. And then at the same time, incredibly traumatic. And so I was balancing back between the two of sometimes feeling really exhilarated by life. And then sometimes feeling incredibly crushed by, by grief And I also felt like, you know, I need to, I need to make art about grief. And that was one thing that was really clear. I need to find a way to tell my story through my art. Like I encourage my students to do, like I'm doing uh, all the time on some level, but not like I need to do it to a different scale. And so that was really clear. And then also, I think I realized that I was midwifing so many people because I was teaching so much and I was seeing so many clients and that I needed to, I needed to express myself and I Mm. needed to have my own artist be, be heard. And also it's like, I needed her to, to get out of the closet in in a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was that I was, guess I think I was 20, I mean, even close to 20 years in recovery at that time. Mm. no actually a little bit like 17 or something but yeah um i'm not doing the math right which but but around 15 a long time time, let's just say yeah (laughs) yeah so so when you tapped into that when you when you kind of i'm sure is was it um well maybe it was a morphing or was it a a light bulb but did you know that you needed you were going to make something um from your feelings of loss and grief? I mean, did that come pretty quickly since that's what you were doing with others and helping them? I mean, right away, I mean, what I had been doing since, I think I started a year into my husband's illness. Um, his name was Eddie. I feel like mm. I keep saying, but Eddie, yeah. Eddie's illness. And Shelly actually, who is a big part of Shelly Rickenback, who's both of you know, and, She's on my film team, associate producer, and has been integral to um, the the film are in, in in production and post production. But she she knew Eddie as well because she had come to some of the retreats. There was different ways she she was also had been a student of mine, and then she came to some of the retreats that I was running. And Eddie would also he started to become a part of those retreats as well because he taught meditation. And so she knew him also. And, and so many people, like he had been such a big part of my, of course, my world and my, and my creative community too. And so I felt that it was so clear, like within weeks maybe of him passing away, um, that I needed to, I, I missed something. I know what I was going to say. I started writing poetry every day a year into his illness. I missed that part. And so, so every day I wrote a poem and so I started gathering all these poems. So I I felt like I wanted to 
do some kind of performance about my grief. And that came months, weeks, months after he passed. And I felt, I felt this urgency, like I need to do this. I need to create a ritual performance. I need to do this. And, and I just wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready to do anything and create anything. Cause I was just trying to move and just pay the bills and figure out all the details of I mean, just all this stuff that happens when you lose somebody that's really close. So there was no way I could do that. And I was just trying to keep my work going. And um, But it took five years, actually, after his illness to, I mean, after his passing, to finally, to do it, to, to create a performance. So I, I was able to gather support. I hired a choreographer. I hired some people to help me. And I created a performance out of my grief and I used all the, that poetry that I had written to to be a part of the the grief story that I wanted to tell and and what happened was I invited I, I rented out a theater I invited some really close friends and colleagues and to come to my performance I think there was 50 people maybe 40 50 people but it was a, a nice Nice size, but not too big, not too small. And I did the performance and I had music and again, poetry and dance. And I did some tango in there and, and it was powerful for me and it was powerful for other people too. That was really what amazed me about the experience is telling that grief story and just crashing around with it. Like I really had to crash around with it through art because Part of it is I had done grief groups. I had done therapy again around the grief. I had a lot of support, but I wasn't tapping into something really vital, it seemed. It seemed like I was just missing something about about the healing. And I kept having dreams, recurring dreams that were really upsetting. And so art was how I I really got to a different place of healing around grief. And, and I had really felt in many ways that that was true with my recovery as well. It was like that I needed art to be a companion for me in my recovery too, because it, it was just something that could hold me, that could help me express things that I couldn't say in words that people maybe couldn't fully understand, or I couldn't sometimes fully understand, but it, it started to unravel through my art making and, and also just get all that stuff that was inside. All of a sudden it could, it could be visible. I could dance it. I could, I could, not, I, I don't sing, but I could somehow, you know, use music to, to help me move through it. I could draw about it. I could write poetry about it. So both for my recovery and then for my grief, art was just this necessary companion. Mm. And it, it, so that, that first performance, actually, everyone said, you have to do this again. You have to do this again. And I thought, oh my God, I can't do this again. It was just one night I did it. You know, right. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I'm carrying my grief through and in this way and I'm doing yeah. it publicly and it's so intense, but, but it actually, um, it felt like, yeah, I do. And so I, I, I went even further into it and I crafted the performance even even more. And I think it was a year later, maybe not even that long, maybe nine months later, I did it for a public audience and I did it for three nights and it sold out. And mm. I had all these people come to 
to witness me moving through this piece. And, and then I said, because why not go for it? I'm going to make a film about it too. <laughs> so, mm, right. I'm going to hire some guys. I hired these really young creative guys to come and low budget to, to create a film about, about the performance and about grief and using the arts to move through grief. Mm. So it's like, okay. And I wasn't alone anymore because I think grief is very isolating. Just like, recover just like recovery just like addiction I mean grief is very isolating and no matter how many people are, are with you through it there's just something there's something deeply what's the word disconnecting about it when you're in it and and so making art about it and people holding me in that way particular way and the story being held through my art like when I was performing it I felt in awe like it was it was joyful a lot of the time to do it because I had a structure now that could hold the process it could hold the emotion it and and I could move through it in a very different way so that's the power of art to me wow yeah yeah I'm crying over here that's just beautiful Mm. yeah it is beautiful it is beautiful sorry um Yeah, I think you're going to make me cry now. (laughs) Well, I can just see you like I can visualize you like giving that to your audience, like this thing that you've held, right, that you're releasing because the power of connection is that they can feel that too. I'm sure they've lost someone or they have had grief in their life or I mean, I'd never really lost anyone in my life, Um, but when I stopped drinking, I think I can, now that I have lost someone in the last couple of years, very close to me, I can identify, you're right, that's a very similar feeling. It's like this loss of self that you have when you stop drinking. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a very quiet, lonely, isolating place when you're in grief, even if someone like, can understand that even if someone has loss as well it's like yeah but you don't have my loss yeah 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 sorry it's Uh, it's perfectly okay (laughs) but I love that you made art with it because it's like that's what feels natural and I think in my own recovery when I started sitting down at a coffee table every morning and making art with my coffee you know I was hung over for a year before I stopped drinking but every day I committed to making art the year before I got sober and that little reprieve that little kind of knowing that I was lost you know and then once I stopped it was a grieving of like I can't do that anymore like that doesn't serve me anymore that's a loss you know the yeah that you can't turn to the thing every night that helps you get through the night or make sense of your day so that loss I know it's very different than a than a person that you love but I think it's because I didn't love myself anymore right and so you sit there and you start creating and making to bring yourself back and it sounds like that's what you did yeah well yeah Mm -hmm. I think it's really it is that reclamation of self that you said that there and there's that I think with Definitely with quitting drinking, quitting 
drugs, quitting any addiction, that there's this deep sense of loss, like this loss of identity. There's this loss of this coping mechanism that feels like a, a friend. Really, it isn't, but it's 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 really the enemy in many ways. But it feels like it's this this close friend that's always with you. And and I think with grief, it's it's very different in terms of losing a person, but there is this part of you that dies with that person, especially when there's somebody that has been so much a part of your life every day or, you know, a part of your, just a part of your connecting to who you are as like as a, you know, with a parent. And, um, and so there is this having to let go and create a different way of living and, and art to me, it became the new anchor in both of these situations, it's like, okay, I don't have that old anchor anymore and I need to find a new anchor. And I think that healing process of addiction and grief is we need to find a new anchor, like a new holding place for us because if we don't, we're just going to keep going back to the pain or we're going to keep going back to the behavior that that is keeping us stuck and and how to reinforce that. And I think doing the performance for me in that grieving process was, it was, a, it made it solid. It solidified my life. Cause that was also part of the, the performances I had to also bring in my new life. Cause it had been five years by the time I did it and I did have a new life and I actually had a new partner and I, you know, it was this feeling like, how do I embrace now I'm getting emotional, you know, this, this new way of of feeling myself, this new way of organizing myself. And yeah, and then having that film, actually, it's interesting because then having this film that I created, which was, God, such an intense experience to put that together. Um, it seems like a piece of cake now compared to my new film, but <laughs> it's another story. Um, but it was really it was a big deal to get that together and then out there in the world. But when it started going out in the world and then people would find me that, cause I said, I'm doing this to, I want to support others who've gone through grief to show them that I got through it. And this is part of how I got through it was using art. And so it, it's this, it's been this wonderful thing of now connecting with a lot of people who've lost partners and spouses and, loved ones who have watched my film and who have found me. And, and one of them in particular that I want to mention, because it ties into what I'm doing now is a man who was, he's, he's in his seventies and someone sent him the film when it had just started coming out online and people were watching it. And, and he, he watched it and he had lost his wife a year previously to, to brain cancer. And, and so he contacted me and he said, I saw your film and it, it just, I really, it really resonated for me. And I'd like to meet up with you for coffee and ended up, he lived like, he lives like, I don't know uh, how, like two minutes away from me. And at first it was like, okay, you know, I don't know. And, um, but sure, why not? You know? And so, because part of it was like, this is a way I want to connect with people. And so we met for coffee and, had such an amazing first meeting and he he was just so obviously so much in his grief but so moved by what I had done and he said will you will you help me do the same I want to make a performance about my grief and I just said of course like 
I thought about that, but it was like, of course I do. And so I, I worked with him, I think for like six months to, I don't know, maybe a year, but, and I would go to his house and, and we would just, we would look at old photographs and, and we, we did all this art and dance and we did all these things to help him create a little performance around his grief. And, um, and then we, it was just beautiful and he didn't want to perform it to anybody else. He just decided he just wanted to perform it to me. Mm. And so he performed it to me one day. I came over and we did a whole, you know, we got it, you know, all set up and, and he did it. And, um, and I just was in awe, you know, wow. that, that what I, an intimate, what an intimate experience, what an intimate thing to share with someone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now actually he's been a big part of my new film. He just, you know, we just stayed in touch and stayed connected, and now we're really close. And he just was like, "I want to help you with your new film," and so he's one of our associate producers, and he's been, um, yeah, he's been our champion all the way. And so he's become a part of my life. You know, I mean, this is to me that that's like the circle that that art can create. It connects us, and um, it's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Well, let's can share with our listeners the name of this film um, yes. that you made about grief, and then let's segue into into your new film and your new project and share that. So my film is called When the Fall Comes. When the Fall Comes, um, and it was really a lot of, the reason why I called it that is because I mean, you probably can imagine, but also a lot of the choreography I started doing through the piece was falling. I just did a lot of falling, falling again and again and again. <laughs> and I practiced and played with falling, and that was part of how I shaped the piece. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's the name of my first film, and it's a short documentary. Uh, how can people the, find it? They can find it on. Two, two ways. It's on Vimeo, okay. and you can find it through my website. Um, I have a link, or I have one of my menu items is film projects. So it's you can rent it on Vimeo. You can also find it on Canopy, which if many people, um, you can go there and rent it through your library card. Not every place in the United States has that option, but... Um, so it's canopy.com and vimeo.com. And um, so those are two ways that you can find it. And again, through my website. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's start talking about your new film. I know we're getting later on in the podcast here, and I know there's lots to talk about. Um, and um, I know Shelly Rickenbach is one of your um, producers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with Shelly earlier this year down in LA when we did the She Recovers Gratitude Workshop. And um, what a delightful human being she is and a joy. And yes. so you're very lucky to get to work with her and vice versa. But can you tell us about your new film, The Creative High, and the impetus for starting it, creating it, and kind of giving a background so our, our listeners can learn a little bit more about it and, and uh, hopefully go yeah. see your film and support it? Yeah, well, and, you know, it's this has been a three years in the making film, the Creative High is is the title, and it's really about, in many ways, the natural high of art making. But it's also about artists who have artists who have faced addiction, 
and the transformation of recovery. And also, you know, as, as we know with addiction, like the reality that addiction is very complex. It's very complex and we all come to, um, we all have a story. So after I did my first film, I was working with this coach and I really felt like, oh, I did the film and now back to my regular work and all this stuff and, you know, business as usual. And I was working with this coach and he said to me, you're a filmmaker. What do you, you know, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't just be in your therapy office working with people and teaching. You need to be doing your art. And of course, like I knew that, but I, I wasn't really ready to, I think I was still just reeling a bit for my first film and I hadn't quite gotten my new, uh, maybe I just didn't have quite the confidence yet because I felt like, well, you know, I did this film and the small little film and da, da, da. But he really like, he saw something and he, he could, he knew my artist self was really important to me. So he prompted me to consider making a new film. And he's like, well, what's your new film going to be about? And he wouldn't let it be like, he just kept bugging me. And so finally I'm like, fine, you know, <laughs> fine. I will, I'll come up with something. And so what I came up with after many brainstorming sessions was, oh, duh, like art and addiction, art and recovery. Like that's been my whole thread throughout my, my life is, and my career and my own journey has been about art and recovery. And so I came up with the idea and, you know, and it took a while to find the title. It's funny, I think as an artist for people who do projects and things like that, you got to find a good title. So we had all these working titles on the edge of chaos and just different things that, that came up. And, and I started just thinking, okay, well, what would this be about? And then, and then we found the title and then we started pitching it to people. Like, what do you think about this idea? And, and I started talking to different artists and, Hey, you know, would you be interested in being interviewed about a film like this? And all of a sudden it just started gaining steam and, um, I was like, oh, God, I guess I'm going to make another film. And so all of a sudden I had like a film team that started gathering and Shelly was actually a part of the early stage because I've had, uh, it's been three years and actually my first team kind of fell away for a variety of reasons and I had to hire a new team and, um, you know, we had, it was kind of been upgrading along more and more uh, advanced as, as I've gotten further along and I got a new producer halfway through Diane uh, Griffin, who's this really amazing documentarian, she's been doing it for 25 years, and 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 she's just been a great support and has really pushed me to uh, to the limit at times. <laughs> but she's really pushed me to go further and deeper. And so it's been three years in the making, and we're in post production right now. And you know, and so we've been following artists. It's just all of a sudden, it just it really took off that my life started getting very consumed by this film. And in many ways it's been great. And in other ways it's been, it's almost like what I, what I moved away from when I got into recovery, which was art is stressful. <laughs> Being an artist, it's like you have to hustle all the time and you have to show yourself. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a ton of work. And I push myself a lot and I'm also perfectionist and I'm very passionate. Art wakes me up in the middle of the night. I have a creative ideas. So I thought, oh, you know, I can handle it. And now at 25 years, I'm like, I guess I can handle it. But it's definitely a whole different way of being than being a creative therapist and teacher, which I have another personality that comes through when I do that. 
Um, so I've had to find my, my way with it. And so anyways, that's kind of the background in terms of my process with it. But, um, we have, yeah, we have nine artists and that we've been tracking in different ways from all different disciplines, from musicians, performers, dancers, uh, visual artists, and they have been willing to talk publicly about their stories on camera and show us their art from, we have from punk, the world of punk, to drag performing, to sculpting, painting, rock, rock musician, rock, uh, Wesley Gear, who's down in Los Angeles, uh, Southern California, and, um, and just all sorts of really interesting folks, hip hop artist, Brandon. Uh, and so now we're in post-production and I have been working like tirelessly with my team to complete this film. And we are at the final leg actually. And uh, the hardest part has been raising the money. That's been the toughest part of the whole process is raising the money. Uh, when you're kind of a, a new person on the scene, you know, in terms of film, people don't know who you are. Women in film are, are really uh, underrepresented, and I don't know. It just to, to me seems like harder. I feel like I know men who, artists and men who are in film that just seem to be like, yep, yeah, we went out, we got the money, and you know, um, and maybe that's just my my head talking. Maybe that's not real, but it just feels like <laughs> well, it could be. Or there, I think there's also an art to fundraising. Honestly, I, mm-hmm. I think that that is a that is a. Um, an acquired art it is yeah it is and it's hard as an artist too because I just you know I just want to do my work and and what happens it's my first super pr- hard it's right? so hard to be the mark the artist and the marketer I, I'm not I I'm not good at it and I feel and it sometimes even makes me angry that I have to be good at it <laughs> it makes me angry too I, I I swear last night I was like why, why do I have to like market? Why can't I just do? And it's like, well, I just can't. That's just right. not how it is. I know. <laughs> this is the reality. You know, right, right. Learn this, artist. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I pine for the days where there were patrons, you know, who would just like pluck you out of out of the sea of artists and go, "You're the person I'm going to support." But you know, and that rarely happened. I mean, how many artists died penniless? That yeah. you know, artists that we revere now died penniless. But um, oh, it's so hard. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. I yeah, su- I supported a film campaign. Um, there was a female fil- filmmaker recently, Izzy Chan, who Ooh. made a movie, The Big Flip. And oh, it was about stay-at-home dads and the moms that went out into the workforce. Um, I think she's San Francisco-based as well. Interesting. Um, that sounds great. But, it. It, but I think but what you're saying, like, I love, I love them, that you're bringing this up and that women in film and how we can support you and that you're doing this. And I'm sure that the, the making the art is the part that is in your wheelhouse, but fundraising money, um, admin mm-hmm. stuff is not, you know, it's not the fun yeah. stuff, <laughs> but it's the really necessary stuff. It's true. How, how have you I done mean, it so far? How have you, how have you supported the film from yeah. the get go? Like, were you working and just doing this as a side project, obviously? And yeah, the whole time. Obviously? Yeah. I mean, the whole time I wish I, you know, it would have been great if, I mean, my first producer kept saying, I'm just going to get the money for you 
and a new home. And it was like a dream come true. And then he never got the money for me. So mm. <laughs> it never happened. Mm-hmm. I was like, so hey, you I almost had it. a you almost had a patron, but <laughs> yeah, he didn't have money, but he kept saying he was going to get the money. Right. Was like, you know, like I'm going to put my suit on, and we're going to mm-hmm. I'm going to put my suit on, and we're going to go. And and I kept saying like, when when are you going to get put your suit on? You know, when is <laughs> yeah, happening? Let's get that suit out of the closet. <laughs> uh, but you know. But he had some health issues. He had a lot of stuff going on. And, and he was actually a wonderful champion of it at, at the beginning and, and helped me get to, to the first year of, of really creating the fundamentals of the film. And so then I got Diane on as a new producer. And she was basically like, yeah, you just got to hustle. You just got to hustle. And we're going to apply to tons of grants. And we're going to, um, you know, we're going to just reach our donor, you know, try to reach a lot of different people who might be willing to invest. And so part of, we started with an Indiegogo campaign, a very small one. That was how we began. I think we raised like 9,000 and we're like, okay, that's how we're going to start. And so I did that with my first producer and, and, um, I just, Shelly was helped me with that. And so we, we managed to, to have that, that little bit of money to begin. And then pretty quickly we ran out of money. And so I was like, all right, now what? Um, and so we started just finding different people that would give us a little bit here, a little bit there. We had had some individual donors that gave us a little chunk, um, like 5,000 here or 2,500 here. And we did these challenge grants. And so I started building an audience of people that would support one little bit at a time. And then um, we didn't get really any grants except for one from a church that supports local um, organizations here in San Francisco called the St. Lutheran, uh, St. Francis Lutheran Church here. And then Shane Booth, who both of you might know, Paula and Shane Booth, they sponsored us and gave us some funds to really help us get through the completion of our, of our, of our filming and starting to go into our editing. And, and so, so we've kind of pieced it together. And I mean, the thing is, is that people don't realize how expensive it is to make a film. It's different than anything else. And, um, it's really, I mean, ideally like with documentaries, like that people say it should be 500,000 to 800,000 should be your budget, which is, which is, uh, which is really, it's realistic, but it's wasn't realistic for us. So we just had to keep like so much money, right? (laughs) So much money. So we're like, if we can do it for 150, like, Great. I mean, our budget was more than that. Like our ideal budget was more like two hundred thousand. But we're like, if we can do it for one hundred and fifty, so um, so we made enough to get to post production. But a lot of films die in post production. So we learned that too, or I've learned that because that's the most uh, costly part, and it's where the rubber hits the road. So that's why we decided. Okay, we have to do something. We haven't gotten the grants we wanted to get because they're so competitive. So we launched this Indiegogo campaign this week on Tuesday and decided, like, we're just going to go for it, which has been really, you know, it's hard. It's vulnerable to put yourself out there to do these things. It just sucks. But it's also exciting uh, because then more people get to see what we're doing, you know, and and get it and get kind of pumped up about like there's this film happening and we're trying to create community and we're trying to support artists and we're trying to really champion art and recovery and and help fight against stigma and and you know be really public about it and so we raised twelve thousand in wow. our first actually thirteen thousand in our first two days. Wow, That's amazing. 
So that showed us like how much support we have and uh, we have a ways to go and it's going to be up all month, but, uh, and we, we, you know, hope people will check it out because we have a very cool promotional video there that shows some of the clips of the film and Shelly's talking and I'm talking and it's all up on our Indiegogo campaign. But, um, yeah, so we feel really boosted by that and just it's, uh, but yeah, it has been very tiring. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet. Well, it's nice. Um, do you, so it's great to probably feel the surge of energy this week, right? Some reinvigorating kind of like, because you probably are working so hard for so long and then this is like another creative, um, high that you're getting right from just, it is. Yeah. It is a creative high. And it's also like I'm not sleeping well, you know, because of mine. And, and then people ask me questions like about, um, about it that, that get sort of trigger me a little bit like, oh, it seems like a lot of money to have to raise. And, you know, so different things kind of get, get stirred up inside of like, oh, can we, can we dare to do this? You know, there, I think there's something to me about, artists about being a woman about being a person in recovery I have a lot of critical self-doubt that I have to battle against and Mm -hmm. so it's trying to really stay with and also the worth like you know we're worth it we're worth it Mm -hmm. as yeah that's a big big piece of it for me I know yeah yeah and asking for money is hard or putting a dollar value on your creative work it's something we talk about and just it's a it's a hard thing to do yeah um and, and, you know, and if you, and if it does, if you are tying that up with your worth, you know, as a person or as a, as an artist, it's, it's all a challenge, but how can people support this uh, campaign? Cause you're saying it's all month. Is it, is it all month? of December? Yeah, it's going to be on through the end of the year. We're going to have it live and um, they can just go to, I mean, first of all, people can just go to the creative high.com. So okay. that's a very simple way is just go to www.thecreativehigh.com. And then there's a link right on the homepage. You can see it says support our crowdfund and it takes you to the Indiegogo campaign. And right there you can see our video and then you can see our perks. We have some very special perks that people can, can um, take advantage of if they want, or they can just donate without that. But we have, we actually, one of the things that we're really, um, I decided to do in talking about grief, we, is we have an in, an in memoriam film credit that is, is one of the things that if people pay a certain amount to support our campaign, that we will put their loved one on a, on this, the credits of the film. It'll be a page where we'll have, uh, people who have passed away, whether it's, you know, an artist, a person in recovery, a person who passed away because of an addiction or just someone that you deeply care for that you want to honor. So that's something that we created to just be an incentive for people to invest in the film, but also have their, have the memory of their loved one lived on, live on. Mm, And so, yeah, so that's that's one of the things. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an easy way. You can just go on and, you know, even to any amount, like $25. We have a lot of people have donated $25 so far, and that adds up, you they know? add up. Yeah, it does. I, sure. I saw um, one of our former guests and a good friend of mine, Amanda Grace, I saw that she donated some art um, as she part of the did. campaign. So I wanted to She's one of our that. perks, too. Yeah. Yeah. She, there's a, there's a printable art of hers and a poem attached to it 
that's one of the yeah, it's one of the perks. Yeah. And we were really grateful for people like her that that said, hey, you know, we'll we'll give you um, tickets to to this, or we'll give you some art that um, that can can also entice people. But then also we we want to share what they do too. Yeah. You know? oh. what a beautiful life you've created, Adriana. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, yeah, I agree. Well, and 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 I'm assuming that you are carrying on with your career while you're making this film, right? <laughs> yes, I have to see clients later today. <laughs> I mean, teaching all weekend, starting tomorrow. I'm guiding a group of women um, that are working on their uh, self-portrait process. Uh, they did these life-size self-portraits, and they are going to be making art and poetry and dance out of it all weekend long. So I'm going to be teaching all weekend long with them. And yeah, so I have to keep my career going. I actually travel internationally and teach and I, you know, all these things have to stay active. And um, unfortunately, sometimes because it takes a lot out of me, but uh, the film is a passion project. I don't, I actually don't get paid for it. I'm hoping that that will eventually change when it releases. But um I just, uh, yeah, all the money goes to my, all the people that make the film. So that's the reality for me right now. Hopefully if my art and film continues, that won't be in the future. But for now, I'm like, this is it. This is what, this is how I'm making it work. And I believe in it. So, yeah. Well, I love that you, this conversation has really inspired me because, um, I often, you know, grapple with that question. Am I a teacher or am I an, an artist, a maker, you know, and will my, if I'm a teacher, does that distract from me being an artist? And, you know, sometimes you just have to, you just, you know, you just have to give to both because it's, you know, it's how you need to pay your bills, but you need to make, make art. So. Well, that integration. true. I think I, it got integrated. I got to a point too where I, I finally said I can keep waiting for the time to open up for me to do my own art. I think that also was a hit, a, like a breaking point for me. Or I can just say I'm just going to do it because I don't know if that time's going to come. Where all exactly. of a sudden, you know, the seas are going to part and I'm going to just do my art and nothing else. I finally said, well, I just have to do it as is and, and yeah. make it work. Yeah, I think the idea of a passion project, and I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast, but just that, that is such an important, I like that phrase, right? Because it's, it is, it's your passion. And, and I, I, I give myself a lot of assignments um, and projects I assign to myself <laughs> um, that have really filled me up, you know, and I think yeah. that's so important. If someone is new to recovery, you have a void that drinking void, the time I spent buying, planning dinner parties, shopping for the, you know, shopping for it, um, inviting the people, having the party, that time was this big void once I stopped drinking. And I had to fill that with, um, with things that started to light me up. And so I think for our listeners, if anybody, you know, make your own project, create it, something that you, you know, listen to yourself, what that is. And kind of go for it. And you don't have to stop your whole life to, to throw yourself into it. It can You can do it alongside, like what you're saying, you integrate it into your life. Yeah. 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 Um, and that engagement, being engaged. I mean, I, yeah, we have to, to me, I have to stay engaged. Yeah. That's a really important part of my recovery. Yeah. 
Well, well, we're at the end here, which I, I think I know we could keep talking, but I just want to really uh, thank you for coming on the show. And um, w this is the part of the show where we, our listeners, um, they tell us that they like it, um, where we ask our guests to share a couple of things that help them either in their sobriety or in their creativity, like what's in your toolbox, basically. Mm -hmm. And the unruffled toolbox, um, the word unruffled means calm and not agitated. So are there, are there some <laughs> things that help you, you know, um, with your sobriety or with your creativity that you could share with our listeners? Three things. Help me, help me get on. That's part of, part of it. Yeah. I like that. I like that framework. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, well, I mean, just in terms of just, straight ahead, like practical tools, because I have to balance the practical tools with the creative tools. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe again, back to like, how do I need to be safe and grounded? But then also, how do I take risks and express myself? Um, so for me, the practical one is, is the uh, fears lists, I have to write out my fears uh, on a pretty regular basis, because my fears start getting the better of me, I start feeling really, uh, just caught in a vortex of negativity. It just is just part of the way that my brain works. So I read up fearsless and then I, I say prayers around that. I put them in a God box. I, you know, I do different things just some, I'll share them with people and, and just try to let them go. So that's one thing for me is the fearsless really, really help me and, and, uh, relax me often. It's amazing sometimes after I do that, how, much better I feel afterwards. It gives me more space in my head for the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, I really like that. I, I, I heard another woman um, in recovery talk about that. And she, she, you know, mentors a lot of women and she has them take their fear and um, kind of take it to the end. Um, if that makes sense. Like, yes, if you say you're afraid, um, you know, that, no one will support your Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. And then what will happen? You know, well, then, just you know, down, and just down, keep down. going yep. until you get yep. to the end of that fear. Right. Yep. right? Yeah. That is such a good exercise. I am writing this down myself because I need to remember to do that. <laughs> it is. Uh, go ahead. I wrote yeah. down, um, revisit my God box because I made one and then I didn't put anything in it. So <laughs> that's going to be what I need to do. So yes. Thank, thank you, Adriana. You're helping our recovery today. <laughs> yeah. Actually, maybe I need to do that today too. I'm like, yeah, I think my God box is kind of empty. I need to put right. something in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's good. So that's, well, that's one. Okay. Should I go to my next one? Yeah, that'd be great. Are you ready for that? Okay. Um, my next one is continuing. It's like that, that private making art and, and collaging. Actually, I really love to collage and I, I bring that into my work with clients sometimes too, um, where I will just privately express myself like, what are my things? What are my thoughts? What do I want to put out that's not in words into my journal and I have, you know, like a sketchbook I'll use. And so I'll put different things in there. And then the other thing I'll do is both I'll express what's happening, but then I'll do visioning, right. Which is sure familiar to you and your listeners, um, where I will also bring in images, whether it's just using pastels or colored pencils or, um, or again, found images from magazines and I'll create little vision collages and I did a bunch of that along the way with the film project where I would just create little 
um, vision boards. I have one actually in my office that I made and that about like the film and I still keep it up there. And it was really about just expanding into my art, into myself, into my creative life and, and, um, you know, doing dynamic work. So that also helps me is like creating these collages, um, and images in a visual diary. So that's my second one Great. that I like to do when I, when I can focus and have time, which lately I have not been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the third one, I just have to say, cause I've spoken about it a bunch too here today is, is dancing and moving my body. And that has been huge for my recovery is like learning that I have a body because I was such a, just a, like a walking, talking head, um, thinking, thinking head when I got into recovery, I really didn't, um, didn't have orientation to myself as a physical being very much. I mean, sure, you know, I was, I was doing, I was being active in the world in different ways. And I did dance when I like to go to bars and dance and but when I, yeah, I was really like, oh, I can sense myself. I can feel myself in my body. I can ground myself in my body. And so when I dance and when I move, I really tap into that. And and it can be just moving at home with music that I love when I'm feeling stressed out or when I just need a break from the computer or when I need to just tap into something more pure about who I am um, or it's going to a class, like I've done different expressive movement classes, like soul motion, uh, uh, what is the one that's um, trying to think of five rhythms some people might know, and there's a spinoff of that right now. Um, again, my brain, I'm going to forget the name of it. But, um, mm-hmm. and, and then also when I did tango too, which I'm not doing actively now, but just it's almost it's like a meditation for me being in my body and moving and um, can just be rolling on the floor sometimes too. And, and Right. Yeah. And that's something that's available anytime. You can just crank up the tunes and shake it out. Shake it out. Down. Yeah. <laughs> Move it. And it really releases something and, and gives me energy, but it also can help me reset, you know, reset my brain. I mean, it does something literally to the body chemistry, to our nervous system. Movement is, is, is really a great tool for recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adriana. Yeah. I've been wanting to two-step ever since I got sober. (laughs) uh, I did it once with Sandra when I was in Austin, not with her, but she was nearby. Um, but I, that's what I used to do. I used to dance and go to country bars and swing dance. And I loved it so much. And I've had a hard time dancing in recovery, but um, we busted that open at She Recovers, right? Right. Oh, yeah. We did. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. But yeah, movement, That you're right. That yeah. Is, that is key. And it's vulnerable. It's really vulnerable, you know. So um, I, it's not easy to sometimes do it in public, but I think it's very freeing when we can do more of it. So maybe we'll all con- congregate for some two-stepping. I would love to <laughs> that. Or I want to go to the Daybreaker thing in San Francisco. We have some <laughs> listeners that have been talking about going to Daybreakers in San Francisco. And I think that sounds kind of kooky and fun too. I haven't heard about that. Maybe oh, I need to. You get to oh, dance yeah. early in the morning from like six to nine o'clock. Ooh. And it's like everybody's wearing costumes too, which I don't know if I'd wear a costume, but I just, it looks like a lot of fun, but they do it really early. There's yoga and then everybody goes to work. So oh, they wow. get this kind of beautiful high in the morning. There's no alcohol. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll send you a link about that because uh, I okay. think I think you might like that. That's um, great. Yeah, I'm not a morning person so much, but, um, <laughs> but you never know. You know, yeah, things right. can never change. Never say never, right? Change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Audrey. And we are going to make sure everybody goes to uh, thecreativehigh.com and check out your work. And if they want to work with you as an expressive arts therapist, can they find contact you through your website? Is that the best way? They can. They can find me through adrianamarchion.com. And, and also I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. You can find me there too. Um, but yeah, so I... I work with people all over the world. I do virtual sessions. I do in-person sessions here in San Francisco. Um, and yeah, and I'm going to be probably doing a lot more teaching and uh, screening after the film comes out to, to, and hopefully be doing a tour around that too. So, but yeah, they can find me through my website and all the details are there. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for hanging in with some of our technical difficulties. Yeah. So hopefully this all seems seamless once the listeners listen. Hopefully it'll all just sound really good. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much. I feel like I, I, I know I can go... I can talk a lot, so hopefully. No, uh... it was great. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, Thank we'll you talk. So much. We'll be in touch. Okay. Have a great day, both of you. Bye. Take Bye, care, guys. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.